This morning we're going to be back in our study in uh, the Beatitudes as we look at the fourth Beatitude today. And uh, we've worked through these each uh, week and um, I've thoroughly enjoyed preparing each week and, and studying. I've had a few of you mention that you've enjoyed studying the Beatitudes and not realizing they're so rich and, and, and deep. And I have much the same feeling. I, I knew when I planned out my preaching schedule for this year that I would enjoy this study, but I've, I've been blessed by it myself, and I hope that you've been blessed by it as we've gone through this. And today is especially a blessing because we come to the fourth beatitude of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I, I find this one to be just as beautiful as the last three that we've studied. And so uh, as we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read Matthew 5 verse 6 and uh, consider what the Lord would say through that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of this worship service that we've already enjoyed for the ways that you work through song and through prayer and through the preaching of your word, through the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that as we come to this time of study that you would build us up and send us out ready to serve you, that you would give me the words to say that I would encourage and, and build up and that you would take away those words that would distract or lead astray. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's begin by just reading verse 6 of uh, Matthew chapter 5, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So from this beatitude, I want you to see three points. I got three points today instead of two, so maybe I'll have more than 18 minutes. I don't know. I drank the same energy drink that I drank last week, so we'll see. Uh, you might have to play this in .5 speed on your recorder so you can hear it uh, uh, and understand it as I will probably talk fast again today. But Leah said I'm enough of a Southerner that speeding it up a bit won't matter. The, the <laughs> So uh, three points today. First of all, a deficiency in righteousness. Second, a definition of righteousness. And third, the delight of righteousness. So a deficiency in righteousness, the definition of righteousness, and the delight of righteousness. So first, consider the deficiency in righteousness. Now, this beatitude starts with a deficiency in the people who are blessed. This blessing comes to those who have a deficiency of righteousness. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God comes for those who hunger and thirst. Now, besides breath, which you absolutely need to live for more than, you know, I think it's three minutes. Water you need if you're going to live for more than three days and food for more than three weeks. So of the three basic needs, breath, food, water, and, and, and food, Jesus mentions two needs, two basic needs that every human has, hunger and thirst. And there's no mistake Jesus is making in using these needs to communicate the spiritual need for righteousness. You know, when I was a teenager, and y'all might remember this too, uh, I... I was always hungry. I could eat a four-course meal and be hungry after. You know, and we're dealing with that right now with Logan. Logan is eating us quite literally out of house and home. I have to tell him before we eat a meal, you get this much. Like you, you everybody else has to eat. You can't, you can't eat it all. 
Or, or if Eden's coming in late from work, I'll say, no, save some for Eden. Don't eat Eden's before she's here. Um, Loden's eating this out of house and home right now, and I remember that feeling of never having enough to eat. And to make matters worse, my, my high school football coach told me in the 10th grade that he wanted me to weigh 220 pounds by the time I graduated from high school. At the time, in, as a sophomore, I weighed 170 pounds, and in spite of a very aggressive diet of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches after every meal and whole milk at every meal and, and eating as much meat as my mom could cook for me, uh, I, my senior year, I weighed 180 pounds. So I only gained 10 years in the two years that I was trying to, trying to gain it. But when I went to college... Auburn had a Chick-fil-A in their student center. And every morning before I went to class, I stopped by Chick-fil-A and got two chicken biscuits. And along with that, I did not touch a weight my whole, or run, run a, any significant distance my whole freshman year at Auburn. And by the end of my freshman year, just those nine months, I, gained, I, I went from 180 pounds to 220 pounds. My coach would have been so proud. So, yeah. So whether you're, you've experienced the hunger of teenage growth pains or fasting or you just haven't had enough money to have three square meals a day, I think everyone understands the need for food. And while hunger and thirst are basic needs of our body, they are not... Uh, as strangely as this might sound, they, they are not our deepest needs, nor are they our most important needs. Consider the fact that a person, a person struggling with depression will refuse to eat, or the fact that someone who has an abnormal view of their body will starve themselves to death of the flaw view, because of a flawed view of their own beauty. Think of how a man who is going through pain, whether it should be physical pain or emotional pain, will turn his face to the wall and refuse to drink or eat. These emotional and spiritual struggles point to the fact that there is a deeper hunger and thirst that we as humans have. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and nights. And in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 4, it simply says, and he was hungry. And it's at that moment of this most intense physical hunger that Satan comes to tempt Jesus with his most basic and at this point, his most urgent need. Satan says, if you are the son of God, then command these rocks to be turned into bread. And Jesus answers with scripture by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now imagine that. Just imagine it for a minute that Jesus as a man is likely quite literally, and I'm not exaggerating here. He is likely on his last day of life due to this prolonged starvation. But yet, as the very Son of God, during these 40 days, at any point he wanted to, he could have, with all of the ability of the Godhead, transformed rocks into bread. And in that moment 
of supreme weakness, he says that there is something more important than eating bread. There is something of greater value. There is something of more important to human beings as a whole person than the food that we eat. Or consider John chapter 4, where Jesus is found in Shechem. And it is high noon. He's been traveling and he's thirsty. And he comes to a well. And a woman approaches him with a, likely a 20-gallon vase that she will fill up to take back to her home. And he asked this Samaritan woman for a drink and she's shocked because there is a great racial hatred between these two peoples of the Jews and the Samaritans. And she asked, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And Jesus answers in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Again, Jesus knew this woman. And as you read the story of John chapter four, and I encourage you in your Sunday afternoon reading to go read it. Jesus knew this woman. He knew her sins. He knew that she had been searching for love in all the wrong places. He knew that she had gone to all the different wells that life might offer that say, this is where you find meaning, you know, the well of relationship, the well of power, the well of money, the well of, uh, of wisdom. She had gone to all of those different wells and had come up dry each time. She needed something more than water. She needed something more than this world can offer. And this deep spiritual hunger and thirst is ultimately for righteousness. As Jesus says in our beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what is righteousness then that we should hunger for it? For that, consider my second point, which is the definition of righteousness. Now, sadly, I think that we have lost our biblical understanding of what righteousness is. Now, for most religious people in our day, we equate righteousness with moral purity. Uh, now, there are several ways that this fleshes itself out for religious people. Some people take a better than view of righteousness. When asked whether they will go to heaven when they die, they say, well, of course, I'm better than that guy, or I'm better than you, or I'm, I'm not a murderer, I don't do horrible things, so I'm pretty good, I'm better than most people, therefore, I will probably go to heaven. Others take a self-righteous view of righteousness. By this, I mean that they have certain rules or moral, or moral standards to which they unswervingly hold. And in holding to this list of moral precepts and moral standards, they ignore all the other laws and all the other commands of God. I've known, I've known people who have lived bitter, immoral lives, and yet they feel that they are morally superior because they were baptized in the right church or have taken the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Still others take a least, least common denominator view of righteousness. You might hear these folks say something like, you know, all that really matters is love. After all, didn't Jesus say that the greatest two commandments were to love God and to love others? And I have good feelings about God and I have good feelings about people and therefore I'm righteous because I love. 
But what Jesus and the Bible more broadly means by righteousness isn't concerned with how you stack up to other people. It's not concerned with how many boxes you check on your list of rules. It doesn't consider how you think you might feel about God or other people. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for righteousness is dekeosini. And it, it uh, is a very important word in the New Testament. It's one that, uh, that has a lot of ramifications for our salvation. And it means, quite literally, to be acceptable or justified before God. You see, righteousness in the Bible isn't primarily, and hear me now, righteousness isn't primarily a concern for what you do, but for your standing before God. To be righteous is to be considered a part of God's family, to be on God's side, or to be one of his elect, to use biblical terms. Now, there are two ways that one can be counted as righteous in the Bible. One way is indeed to be morally pure. So consider what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So what Paul is saying is, sure, you can seek to be obedient to God and you can seek to be accepted before God based on your perfect moral purity according to the law of God, but recognize the weight of that. Paul says that the one who would set out to do this is cursed because in order to be acceptable before God in that way, you must keep every last dot and tittle of the law. And I know I've referred to Jerry Clower way too much in this, this sermon series, but I'll refer to him again. Jerry Clower talked about going raccoon hunting. And he said that you would take 20 dogs and you would chase this raccoon up a tree. And he said he had one particular uh, hunter that he went with named John Eubanks that didn't believe in taking a gun hunting with him when he went raccoon hunting because he wanted to be an ethical hunter. He believed that that raccoon ought to have a fighting chance. He ought to be able to, if he wanted to, to jump out of that tree and whoop all them dogs and walk off. So you get the irony of that. No raccoon is going to jump out of the tree and whoop all them dogs and walk off. So, you know, it's kind of like that with obeying the law of God. If you are going to set out to do that, you better be a really big raccoon, right? You better be able to do it. And the problem is, as Paul says here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, no one can do it. Everyone who would set out to do it is ultimately cursed because no one can obey every dot and tittle of the law. Yet, and here's the good news, there's another way of righteousness that we find in Scripture. And it is the way of faith. As Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see, God has always had a way of righteousness that is apart from the law. 
God has always accepted those who trust in him to provide the salvation. God's acceptance of Abraham was not based on Abraham's works. Lord knows it couldn't be based on Abraham's works, but on his faith. God's acceptance of David was not based on David's victories, but on his faith. And so too, God's acceptance of you will not be based on your moral purity, but on your faith. This brings me to my final point, and that is the delight of righteousness. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed with satisfaction. Now, the word satisfaction here means to be gorged or filled up with food. In the South, we'd say we're stuffed, right? All right, that's what this word means is you're stuffed with what God has provided, with the righteousness God is providing. So understand this blessing of Christ's kingdom isn't just a momentary blessing. It's not just enough blessing. It's not a morsel of God's blessing of righteousness that God gives to us in this new kingdom. He doesn't just open the door to righteousness in giving us the righteousness of his kingdom. No, God's, God intends to bless those on whom the kingdom comes with so much righteousness that they will be gorged on it. They'll be stuffed with it. We see this pictured in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 6, we read of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And in that story, it says that Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish to feed everyone who was pregnant, uh, present, likely probably about 10,000 people. But it wasn't just enough for everyone to get a taste. It's not as though God just, uh, Jesus just broke the bread into just barely enough for everyone to get a taste, of, not like when we take communion, you know, and we just barely get a taste of communion. But, but it says in verse 12 that they gathered 12 baskets of the fragments. So Jesus didn't provide enough for everyone to be filled, but he provided abundantly more than what anybody could ever need to eat. So later, the crowd comes back to him and they ask for bread again. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is in verse 35 of chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, Jesus is pointing out something that should be clear by now. Now, sure, you have been filled with, the bre with bread, but you have a much deeper need. You need to be filled with God. You need to be accepted before God. You need spiritual life, or you will face spiritual death for all of eter eternity. And in Jesus is the only way to have the spiritual life that will never end. You see, friend, the only way to satisfy the deep need that you have for truth, for meaning, and for reconciliation with God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only truly righteous one, the only one who has ever been totally obedient to the law of God. And as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you want to be accepted before God, you must 
be in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ if we are in Him. We have received His Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit empowers us to live in faithful obedience to God. What is really fascinating to me is, as I've said, there are two ways of righteousness. The way of faith and the way of moral obedience. And what happens in the way of faith is that when you come to Jesus Christ, God declares you right with Him. You are now acceptable because of what Jesus has done and because of your faith in Him. But God doesn't, as we said, God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just give you a morsel of Jesus' righteousness. But instead, He goes on to give you His Holy Spirit so that you yearn to be like Jesus. And every day of your Christian walk, God is giving you a little bit more and a little bit more so that you will be filled up with the righteousness of God and made to be like Jesus through the presence of His Holy Spirit in your life. We call that in in biblical terms or in in, uh, theological terms, we call that sanctification. That God is making you holy through the presence of His Spirit in your life. So we're not, in in our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're not like the man who is stranded on a deserted island with no hope of food. But we are like princes and princesses reclining at the king's table who need only ask for more. May we leave this place hungering for the things of God, knowing that we will be satisfied in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beatitude and for the promise that we have that through Jesus Christ, we have your righteousness. We are accepted before God because of what he has done and that we will be satisfied in our yearning and desire for righteousness because you have done all that is required in Jesus and you have given us your Holy Spirit so that we will have the righteousness of Christ. So, Father, I pray that we would leave this place seeking to live in that righteousness and that we would rest only in what Christ has done and in your power to sanctify us as we walk in faithfulness in you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.